Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this very exciting episode where Charlotte and I are recording together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Caitlin and I have been together. We, like, decided to quarantine together and do some work from home together since Caitlin and I both live alone. Honestly, it was just really lonely, and we needed to enter each other's spaces. I have a a, a party of one, which is just me, <laughs> in my bubble. Caitlin, too, essentially. So I basically yeah. just entered her bubble. Now we've yeah. been together for a couple weeks. And yes, this is the first time we're recording a podcast. <laughs> I know. We've, we've actually been together for almost a month now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad. I feel bad. It's fine. It's okay. We We've, needed a little break. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's really, I think it's really only been, I think, a couple of weeks since our yeah. last episode posted. Yeah, so yeah. everything is good. But being together means that we got to do a Star Wars marathon. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like it has been so long since we did a Star Wars marathon. Like, when was the last time we did it? It had to be, it was before. The Force Awakens. No, no, it was no, no, no. It was after the Force Awakens, but it was before the Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. And like so much in our fandom has changed, and we did a podcast series about that, but it's still like we weren't together doing the the Machete Order when we did it. Um, No, we did the series on it. We watched them in that order, but like we were doing the series, so it wasn't like the experience of marathoning a Star Wars movie. I'm sure people listening have done this before. It's like you take like two days and go go for it or three or three who so this three? one we did over three but like it's interesting because now we have nine movies right nine movies yeah. of the skywalker saga this entire order will be skywalker not and won't be including rogue one or solo mm-hmm. but it's interesting because like last time we did that marathon there was all there wasn't the last two sequel trilogy movies so it was like only seven movies movies, and we had it scheduled so well that we were able to do it in one day we finished at like 1 a.m we started at like nine and i feel like it's it's just really interesting because this one took us three days and it was like (laughs) it was a lot it was a lot yeah it was a lot but But it was great it was so fun um yeah it's been so long since we've like marathon star wars together and so finally getting to do it again and to just like spend the whole weekend watching star wars was really fun yeah okay so let's talk about the order the order the order so as the title probably says we've decided to call this order i mean i'm sure people have watched movies in this order before we're not like the inventor of an order okay but maybe we are but maybe we are i don't know we (laughs) We don't don't know but we decided to call this basic this this order basically after the very popular russian dolls they're Mm -hmm. called matryoshkas and that way we're going to also call it the nesting order because that's a russian word we're not russian so we can try to say it and i think we, we like, we're close <laughs> we're close Ish. but hopefully we're i don't know yeah but we're really excited about it because the order that okay let's talk about the order yeah okay. in 2019 november 2019 when the world was bright charlotte and i had this great trip where i visited her in boston And we were talking about what order we were going to marathon Star Wars in once The Rise of Skywalker was out. Um, Of course, it came out. The world shut down. Those things are not related. (laughs) Sometimes it seems like they are. And we just we kind of forgot about what the order was that we had even talked about back in November 2019. So the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about it some more. And we kind of came up with this order, which 
We weren't calling it the Matryoshka or the Russian doll nesting order at the time, but that kind of came to us while we were talking about the films while we were watching them. Yeah, like mid-film. Yeah, which we'll get into like why we think it's a good name for it um, or why it even applies to this order. So the order is... Get out your pens and pencils. I'll put it in the notes, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. It's The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, Return of the Jedi, The Rise of Skywalker. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be talking about it more as we go through the episode, but it really is... Um, like you start, the reason we put The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi at the top end is because they really are, like they really introduce a lot of this lore and myth about the Skywalkers that is being kind of given to Rey. And it's really kind of big picture. And and you're kind of also seeing um, the miscommunications that have come down through time. And as you move further into the marathon, you're going further back in time and you're getting closer to like the inner doll, which is the prequel trilogy, which is kind of where all the truth comes out about who Palpatine is. It's like the cataclysmic event. It's of, the most complicated yeah, of it all. Yeah, of Anakin falling. And so you kind of go on this trajectory from like super high level Star Wars with The Force Awakens and like our introduction to a lot of new characters and stuff. And then you kind of fall down into the depths <laughs> of the of the second trilogy. And but that's where you learn like all of the truth of what actually happened back then. Because in The Force Awakens, you get Han kind of being, you know, kind of mysterious and like, you know, some say that this happened to Luke, some who knew him best. And I'm like, dude, that's you. (laughs) Um, And then as you move into the, uh, into this uh, original trilogy, you get Luke hearing about his father and what's going on with his father. And then you actually get the truth of what happens when you get into the second trilogy. And then as you come out of it, you see, you know, Luke reconciling with the truth of his father. And then you see Rey reconciling at the end with the truth of everything that has happened. And yeah, I'm really obsessed with this order. Yeah, we really, really liked it. And I think that we're huge fans of the Machete Order, our Sky Talkers Machete Order, which adds the Phantom Menace back into the mix and also includes the sequel trilogy. And I think that we still love that order. I don't think there's a wrong way to watch Star Wars, but I think that Caitlin and I are really obsessed with finding different ways to view the Star Wars saga from all these different lenses. And I think that especially for us who spend a lot of days and a lot of time wrestling with Star Wars and the concepts that come with Star Wars, I think we're always looking for like new ways to view the saga and to like come into it with different perspectives and things like that. And every time I return to even a single movie, I always find myself thinking more deeply about Star Wars. And uh, this is sort of a, a tangent, but there's so, so often I feel like Caitlin and I, particularly me, gets like, um, gets sort of uh, entrenched in fandom and fandom discussions and things like that. And I always find that, like, I feel so much better about the thing I love, which is Star Wars, when I actually return to the source material. And to make that new again this way, I think, has been so great, so nice, and I recommend it to everyone. And obviously, we watched The Rise of Skywalker, too. We did. Which is big. We'll talk about it. I don't want that to take over this episode because that's not what this episode is about. But I would say that if you're going to watch The Rise of Skywalker and if you had some difficulty with it, this was a 
a good transition, and we'll we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, because you go from Return of the Jedi to the Rise of Skywalker, and I think that that was a really good solution because you don't go from the Last Jedi to the Rise of Skywalker, which can be jarring and very different for some people, including myself. Yeah. And I found that it was more palatable. Um, I still have my issues with the movies. I know Caitlin does too, but it it worked for me. It was. It was definitely more palatable. And yeah, like Charlotte said, we've, we've done, you know, the original Machete Order is um, A New Hope, Empire, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and then Return of the Jedi. That's the original uh, Machete Order. And then we tried our Skytalkers Machete, which really just introduces the Phantom Menace at the beginning. So you go Phantom Menace, A New Hope, and then so on and so forth. So this this kind of follows. It's like another variation of the Skytalkers machete while incorporating the sequel trilogy into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of viewed the sequel trilogy like when we were, quote unquote, constructing <laughs> this viewing <laughs> order. We kind of wanted to view the sequel trilogy as like a framing narrative around the Skywalker trilogy of the original and the prequel trilogy. And I think it worked really well and yeah like charlotte said it was just really great to just sit and watch star wars for 20 hours or something <laughs> over the course of three days and this is the first time i've watched the last jedi since the rise of skywalker so that was big <laughs> <laughs> and the first time i've watched um the rise of skywalker since we did our episode on it yeah um so it was a lot of really big things yeah big, um, big moments okay so we did want to talk a little bit about why we're calling it the russian doll uh, nesting matryoshka is the actual name for the russian dolls that they're called <laughs> the dolls that they are called the russian in russia. dolls yeah. as they are called in, in russia. russia and it was actually kind of cool because we did a little bit of research on them i had no idea that they were called matryoshka mm-hmm. and that they're actually a relatively new phenomenon like i think from like the late 18th uh, 19th century is when they really started being produced and then they've kind of always been a tourist item yeah at least we haven't done like super in-depth research but from what we could tell in the couple articles we read that's kind of how it was presented. So in one of the articles that we were reading about them, it talked about how the Russian dolls are actually not that used that often in literature and film, but it did reference this poem that was written about them. And I thought it was interesting given our discussion on kind of why we chose this name for this viewing order. And um, it is a poem by Melissa Green, and the poem is called Matryoshka. She references the poem's title on the line, quote, a Russian doll encloses independent clauses. She then uses a series of metaphors, including a beetle shell and a blood-embroidered egg, to depict the process through which emotions are displayed, hidden yet able to be glimpsed in one's writing. In a similar manner, the outer Matryoshka doll hides the smaller dolls, but gives a clue as to what lies inside. And I think that that's kind of exactly how this viewing order works when you work through it. I don't think this is necessarily a good viewing order for someone who hasn't seen Star Wars yet or doesn't have familiarity with it. Mm-hmm. I think like that kind of unraveling of the story of the egg of the dolls itself is a really good metaphor for how this order works. Well, I think the reality is, is that the sequel trilogy in some part was designed to be an entry point for a lot of people into Star Wars. Yeah. So whether they realize it or not, I think some people have watched Star Wars in this order. Like when they watched it, when they saw The Force Awakens first or something like that. I think that... The Force Awakens for so many people has been a gate into discovering, okay, now I go to the original trilogy, now I go to the prequel trilogy. It's like we're just putting it in like a formal order, I suppose. Bearing, we just are introducing the 
order, why don't we talk about how we're structuring this episode? So in part one, we're going to be talking about The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and A New Hope and our experiences there. Mm -hmm. And then in part two, we're going to be talking about Empire Strikes Back, The Phantom Menace, and Attack of the Clones. And in part three, we're going to be talking about Revenge of the Sith, Return of the Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Okay, welcome to part one, where we're talking all about The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and A New Hope. And I think really how we just kind of wanted to go through this episode was just talking about kind of the things we took away from this viewing order. Um, Again, it's like all from a certain point of view (laughs) style. And when you look at something kind of shaken up or upside down, you just notice things differently. So I don't think this is going to be some huge like analysis episode but rather kind of going through I mean it'll probably turn into that at some point but (laughs) but really just kind of going because Cheryl and I were taking notes through it of just like the little things that kind of stood out to us differently in this viewing order and we'll go from there I guess yeah so let's start right at the top with The Force Awakens Force Awakens I love The Force Awakens it's such a good movie and it's always so entertaining and I wanted you to kind of talk through something that you talk through with me and I was like We've never talked about this before. So basically, when we were watching Kylo Ren kill Han Solo. <laughs> that moment. That moment, which is like one of Caitlin's favorite Star Wars moments. And I, <laughs> that sounds so dark, but I think it, it is framed so well. I think the way Caitlin described it was that it was an interesting point of view for me. It was Ben had all these different like choices that he placed in front of Han to turn away. But instead, yeah. he didn't turn away. Number one. I love The Force Awakens, and I love the first, like, 20 minutes of Force Awakens. I say this every time we talk about this movie. Perfect. I love the opening of The Force Awakens. Anyway. But one thing that kind of struck me while we were watching this is that there's so many opportunities that Kylo has to confront Han, and every time he rejects that opportunity, it's only when Han makes the choice to follow him that Kylo actually acts on it. And this really came, I don't know, to light or we started talking about it at the confrontation between Han and Kyle at the end. Because so right before Khan goes on to the catwalk with no railings, bad call on a lot of people's parts, but Kylo walks right past him. And I remember when we were watching it, it was like, why doesn't like, I think a lot of people read that as like Kylo in a way almost taunting Han. I think that's been interpreted that way before, but. I don't. (laughs) I think it's like him, like, I can almost hear Kylo in my head saying, like, please don't follow me. Like, don't come out on this catwalk. Don't make this choice because then I have to make mine. And it's, I don't know, like, for me, it was a much more sympathetic reading of it, which I know some people don't agree with, but that's fine. (laughs) Um, And because, you know, you hear J.J. Abrams talk about this scene. And I think the beauty of this scene is that Every time you watch it, you really, it's one of those scenes where you really do believe Kylo can make a different choice. And I think that's the intention behind it is that when you're watching Kylo, the first time, I think so many of us were like, what is he going to do? And I, like, it's it's shocking every time. And I think that um, watching it this time, I was like, Kylo is avoiding Han. Like, he's actively avoiding Han. He doesn't come after him on Tokodana when he has Rey. He doesn't um, say anything to him when they're in Starkiller base. It's only when Han calls out to Kylo that he is then like, all right, like, I have to do this now. Yeah. And I don't know. That was just kind of the interpretation I came away with it now. 
And um, I think it was great to see Han like actively following Kylo when he's kind of distanced himself so much from it because of the pain that it caused him. And I don't know. I cried so much more in this, in <laughs> this whole viewing order <laughs> than I ever have in Star Wars before. I don't know what it was, but like, man, was I wrecked. <laughs> well, I think this whole thing about you explaining this to me came from me being like, why doesn't Kylo sense that Han is right there? And yeah. you're like, he does. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, well, why doesn't he just like, if he's going to kill him, why doesn't he kill him right there? And you were like, well, here's my sympathetic viewing of it. <laughs> and I, But I think it makes sense. It's like, here's all these different like points. I mean, Snoke even says that you've never faced such a test, right? Yeah. Or challenge. I'm not sure. Whatever. Same yeah. word. And I think that it's like, okay, so that test is will you help me? Like all these different questions. Like, what are you going to follow me? You're going to say my name. Like I could walk by you and not even make a noise and we could just go about our day. Yeah, we can pretend nothing happened. You weren't here. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And just like Caitlin said, like I also cried a lot during this viewing order and I really like was obsessed with the Han and Leia relationship in this viewing order. And we'll talk about that more when we get to the original trilogy, but I just want to put that out there and, like, again, it just made me sad even thinking about, like, the lack of, like, any sort of, like, I don't know. I feel like we could have gotten so much more from them or, like, had – it was just – the ending is just really sad. It's really sad that – Yeah, it is. Even in The Force Awakens, Leia and Han's, like, reunion is great and everything, but come on. Like, I feel like it could have been a little better. Yeah. And I, I think that as I'm sure, like, Han and Leia shippers – I'm not really a Han and Leia shipper. It's not like ride or die ship. I mean, I love them. Don't get me wrong. But and I, I really do love them. But I when I saw that, I was like, ooh, juicy the first time I watched The Force Awakens. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, this is kind of mean. Like, can people have waited like so long to see what happens to this relationship? And instead it's like, yeah, they just had a real rough. Like their son left. They got separated. Se- so they separated. Like they haven't seen each other. I'm like, this is sad. Yeah. They don't even kiss again. It's just sad. Anyway, I don't mean to like start on a, on a damper, but I thought that was interesting. Caitlin, well, what I'll, I'll bring us there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, to, like more of a dampener. Oh, okay. okay. okay, okay right. uh, so this is the first time I've watched any of the sequel trilogy movies since Tross. I think a lot of my viewing, especially because we start off with The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi was, is this movie changed for me because of Tross? And I think, like, thankfully, that's not completely true. Like, I think I expected it to be more so. And it's definitely something that's in the back of my mind, like, while I was watching these films. But I think as time goes on, I'll forget more about Tross. (laughs) But one of the questions I was asking myself throughout The Force Awakens was, what does Tross add or take away from scenes like Kylo talking to Vader's helmet? Especially because... Again, this isn't a viewing order that I would necessarily recommend for someone who has never seen Star Wars before. So when you're watching The Force Awakens, you know that it's actually Palpatine. And so how does that kind of change things? And I think it does ultimately continue to just make it more sympathetic of Mm -hmm. like, he really has no idea what's going on here. Like it's not even, it's just, it's all a facade. It's all a trick on Kylo, really. Yeah. So that wasn't taken away too much, I think, but... There are kind of like with Han and Leia, there are just these things that kind of follow you through this movie of knowing how it all ends and wishing things could just be a little bit different. Or like things that resolve or don't resolve and then being like, oof, like it was more fun to like speculate, which I think is like part of the experience of being a fan that I feel like 
so many of us have been going through is like actually speculating was like so fun. And that experience of being part of those like three years of going through that was like it was four great. years. It was great. It was, it was so awesome. Fun. And I think that it's we're just like, I don't know. We're just we're working through it. You know, <laughs> we're yeah. working through it. And I think kind of just the other thing that was kind of impacted for me or is a, a disappointment uh, like connected to Tross is, of course, starting The Force Awakens. We see Finn with a lightsaber. It's so cool. And then knowing that that was never like if I hadn't if it was resolved in Tross, like that, like he actually told Ray, right, that he was force sensitive. I feel like that payoff would have been so great starting in The Force totally. Awakens with the lightsaber and all of that. Um, because I I think Force Awakens is Finn's movie. Like, I think he is just – he steals the scene really in all the films, but especially in Force Awakens. I feel like he it just – he's a scene stealer. Like, I just – I want him to be in every scene, and yeah. I think he's fantastic in The Force Awakens. And um, that scene in at, at Maz's castle when he's asking Ray to go with him – Oh my God. I, I like my heart breaks every time I watch it. I just think it, I think John Boyega does such a great job with that scene, but any, like everything with the lightsaber, it's just, it's so cool. And knowing that he wasn't a force user back then, or he, he wasn't aware of the force at the time in the same way that he is in the rise of Skywalker to have seen that connectivity there. I think it just would have made force awakens that much better. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that I think we all wanted Finn to hold a lightsaber again. I yeah. did. We talked about it on the show. And he does technically hold a lightsaber again when he's holding it as like a flashlight, basically, in the cave. Yeah. But it's not the same. I think when, no. I mean, sometimes I, like, during this viewing, I was like, ugh, it would be so cool if Finn was next to Ray and Ben fighting Palpatine. Why couldn't that have been part of it, too? Like, I mean, I think that's a totally different story, but I think that that would have reflected this whole, like this whole like poetry at rhyme situation back to the final fight in The Force Awakens. Things would have been healed in in the trilogy itself, which I think is a suffering point of The Rise of Skywalker is that it's almost too referential to the original trilogy. Yeah. It's not referential enough to its own trilogy itself yeah um that is why it works so well though for this type of yes music. exactly so that it, that's like the caveat to it um because i mean first awakens is so fun like yeah it's it's so good you watch yeah. it and it goes by so fast it really for me does. i'm like oh my god we're already here we, we made it it's like it's <laughs> it's such a it's just i don't know it was such a feel-good movie i love it i still I don't know. Such good memories. It was so great when Star Wars was back. Like, who could forget? It was the best. Yeah, it was great. And and then in context of this viewing, it it really does just kind of lay these seeds of this is who I thought Luke was. This is who I thought Han was. Yeah. And then you're starting, like, get this little snippets of who they actually were, like with Han and Leia and even with Kylo. And, of course, we get Luke at the very end. So I think it's, like, it's perfect. It's a perfect start. Right. Like, I think this movie does a really good job at hinting at the myth of Luke yeah. Skywalker. I mean, Ray even says it, right? So if this order is about discovering the deeper myth, the, the complications, truth, yeah. the truth and everything, this is like the perfect beginning of it. You know, it, mm -hmm. it works really well. So All right. let's talk about The Last Jedi. So obviously the transition to The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, I think when you're doing an order, Caitlin and I have struggled about with this before. It's hard to not put these two next to each other because there are the timeline it's like it starts it, it's just it, it's like they don't miss a beat right yeah. 
And no other Star Wars movie is like that. So it's just really strange to not have any sort of time jump or whatsoever that you kind of need. You need a little bit of a pause if you're going to slice another movie right in the middle of it mm-hmm. um, in a viewing order. So for us, like, it's pretty necessary to have The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're referential of each other. I think it it works really well. I don't think we'll change that anytime soon, but who knows? Never you never, never know. You never you, know. You never, who's to say? Yeah, who's, who's to, to say? say? I think something that was really good about this viewing of The Last Jedi, I, unlike Caitlin, I've watched it a few times since The Rise of Skywalker, but I still think that, and I know Caitlin's going to talk about this too, but The Force Awakens remains to me as like the strongest Star Wars movie, especially when it comes to like diving deep into the characters and their their motivations and why they're there it's like so complicated which is why it remains a really another good just like the force awakens a good entry point when you're diving deep into the mythos of star wars and the skywalkers and everything like that you in in the force awakens you ask the questions of who is luke skywalker what is this myth what is the force and how does this pertain to ray but like how is she a part of the story how has ben a part of the story what is this that they're sitting on top of what is this like timeline that they come from? The next movie, The Last Jedi, begs the question of like how many things went wrong to get to this point. And I, I think that only then when you dive deeper into, okay, the, the joy of the original trilogy and then you dive into the Phantom, uh, the Phantom Menace, yes, the Phantom Menace and the prequels <laughs> and it gets to the tragedy of it all. It really reflects back super well on The Last Jedi because you really dive deep into that. It, like, it gives you the everything that you need <laughs> to be like, oh, my God, these characters are so complicated. They have so much going on. I can't wait to see where this goes. Wow, what is Luke even referencing when he talks about Sidious? This is the first time we, talk, we get a, a reference to Palpatine. So Palpatine is important in this viewing order, right? Yeah. Because when we get to the, the prequels, we're like, Palpatine has been orchestrating everything. We all know this. As Star Wars fans, we all know he's the puppet master and everything. But here is the first mention of him, Sidious. So in this order, we've never met him. We don't know. All we know is this Darth Vader figure, right? Yeah. So when Rey references the fact that Luke saved his father and things like that, that also, lots of questions there with that one. Who told her? How'd she find out? What happened? These are my questions. I know. All the time. <laughs> I know. How do we know what we know? How do we know what we know? <laughs> and it's like, I I think someday we'll probably find out how she knew and how she figured it out. If we don't already, but I feel like I would know I that. Know. Yeah. If It's interesting, number one, if that's in the like the mythos that is like living in the galaxy that Luke saved his father. I guess all I can think about is Leia in Bloodline, which is a book by Claudia Gray, wrestling with the fact that Darth Vader is her father and how this affects her political career and her entire life. And whether that got out to the world, which it did get out to the world, but like how does that affect the myth of Luke Skywalker? We don't know. Right. Yeah. It would be interesting. I think Caitlin brought this up. I don't want to like steal your words, but in going to you. (laughs) Did I? Remind me. You said like, wouldn't it be interesting if Leia told her that? Oh. Because that would be some sort of like, there's a little bit of like an arrested development about Leia not fully accepting that Vader was her father, like not wanting anything to do with that. Right. And uh, she, she, she makes some progress obviously in bloodline, but it would be interesting if she talked to Ray about that in a really sympathetic tone. It would be fascinating. 
Yeah, like before Ray left. It's like, here's what you need to know about Luke Skywalker. Yeah, she, she, gave, she gave Ray like a crash course on yeah. Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker 101. 101. <laughs> Let me, tell me what you know and I'll tell you. I'll fill in the gaps. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this was the first time I watched The Last Jedi <laughs> since December 2019. So feels like a big step. Was a big step. But I think I I came away still really loving the movie and it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be, especially knowing that we were going into A New Hope after this and not The Rise of Skywalker, like Charlotte was talking about at the top of the show. It it really does. Like, if you had a hard time with Tross, this order really separates these films out and uh, really softens that transition, I think, in a really big way. So, Recommend. 10 for 10 recommend. Yeah. Um, but I think that this viewing order, it just like, or this viewing, it just really reminded me how much I do love The Last Jedi and that I think it is just an exquisite movie. Um, I think it's it's so character driven, the most character driven of any Star Wars film, I think. And that makes it stand out. And I think it it is a great follow up to The Force Awakens. And because it is so heavy handed with Luke, um, or he's just in it a lot, I should say, it makes a transition into A New Hope really great. The thing is, I don't think I had like any great revelations about The Last Jedi, this this go around watching it. I think I was just really glad to be able to be watching it again, you know, and just, I don't know, enjoying it because I was so worried that I might not be able to, honestly, or that I would only be thinking about Tross while I was viewing it. And again, Tross was in the background of my head kind of throughout this whole viewing order of just how everything was going to line up. But so was like the next movie, too. I was like, okay, how is the transition from The Last Jedi into New Hope going to be? And then I'm watching A New Hope. I'm like, okay, how does this parallel The Last Jedi that we just saw? So like, that's not strange. Yeah, it it was actually kind of easy to forget about Tross because I knew it was coming next. And it was just like, oh, my God, like all these little things that I forgot that I love so much about this movie. And, oh, my God, I forgot how much I loved DJ at the end mm-hmm. when they're in um, Snoke's ship. And they're like, you chose – I don't remember what they said, but they're like, how could you do that? Like, you chose the wrong side. And DJ just goes, maybe, and walks away. And I thought, like – sorry, that was a horrible explanation <laughs> I think the, the, the maybe is perfect because yeah. it's also perfect like in a meta stance of being in the middle of the trilogy. Here we are at the standstill of like what's the right choice? What's the wrong choice? Yeah. We've talked about DJ before about how like DJ is such an interesting character in that he presents this like dual morality of the the, the weapons are the being don't join. Yeah, the don't join aspect. But I think Star Wars, if Star Wars teaches anything, as anything, it's like, yeah, you have to join the cause for the good side. You have to. You can't say no. You can't say maybe. You have to make a choice. And I think that Ryan Johnson knows that. I think that's the point. And but you're right in saying that, like, that DJ delivery of saying maybe. It's so good. It's perfect. I think the camera's at a great angle. The way he says it. I want to know how many times he did that take. If it was a one take Mm, wonder. So perfect. Yeah. Especially because, like, you, you have DJ like you you kind of go with Finn through how you view DJ because remember when uh, DJ takes Rose's necklace and Finn follows him and is like you'll give that back you yeah. can't take that that's hers and he's like it's great he's like super proactive about Rose and her, that he knows what that necklace means to her and then DJ just uses it to open the door. door and then he gives it back to Rose and they're like oh my god DJ DJ's and good DJ, but then it's like great and then he betrays them and they're like yeah, what <laughs> <laughs> um and I just I really liked it and I found myself enjoying 
like Canto Bite is just so fun. I had a really good time with Canto Bite on this viewing. I thought it was really great. I loved seeing the casino again and oh my god, everything with BB-8 and like shooting the coins out <laughs> at the cards. It was just so fun and the Fathers look fantastic and and Rose is just so great. Oh my god. I love her. Yeah, it, you know, it was just it was so great. And of course, everything with Ray and Kylo that's my bread and butter bread and butter bread and who is the bread who is the butter kylo's the butter that's right. what i was gonna say yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That just seems right yeah it just seems right <laughs> i don't think you can separate that so. yeah 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 that was oh my god it was just it was so great i love the score for the last jedi i just i was really glad to watch it finally and find that i still like i wasn't overwhelmed with trust by watching the last jedi i have to say though watching the last jedi and seeing all the sexual tension that happens between ray and ben and knowing that they kiss in the end it's good it's real good it's good it's really good it's real like good. i will give trust that but, i will give that to them uh, trust always had that okay <laughs> that was never a dig that was in, in like watching the last jedi knowing that it like makes it even better because you're like instead of speculating about where this can go you're like well they kiss in the end so like <laughs> It kind of ups it. It does. Yeah, yeah. At least for me. Um, I know that's not true for a lot of people, but for me, it's very true. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the transition from The Last Jedi to A New Hope because I feel like that's actually more interesting because, like you said, when you're watching something in this order, um, you are constantly thinking about the next thing. And you're like, how is this transition going to work? So you're always, like, looking for little things. And I think, Caitlin, you brought this up about how what's interesting is, like, when Luke dies in in The Last Jedi – and Ray says, it's, you know, I felt peace and purpose. The, the music by John Williams is called Peace and Purpose. And mm-hmm. I think everything that you're about to see when you dive into original trilogy is exploring what that peace and purpose means. Why is yeah. he dying in that moment? Who is he dying for? How did he get here? What is this transition like from older Jedi to farm boy with aspirations hardships tragedy and how do we go from like one tragedy to the next and um what does it mean to see those twin sons at the end when luke dies to seeing the 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 the, you know the beautiful scene of the binary sunset of luke viewing those twin sons and i feel like that that this is like an underrated transition yeah of the last jedi to a new hope and i think that I mean, I, I know that we, we, we've talked about how Ryan Johnson has talked about how he watched the prequels all the time on repeat on his little DVD player. He's talked about it before. <laughs> In his bedroom. But I think we all know that he is a huge Luke fan and yeah. everything. So he's talked about it before. His favorite character is Luke, which makes sense because he wrote Luke such a beautiful arc. I don't know. It's like it's great to go from like ultra complicated to like the hero in the hero's journey, like the most mythic, standard, tropey Luke Skywalker and see that journey on. Yeah. So if you've listened to any of our Sky Talkers machete episodes, you know it starts The Phantom Menace to A New Hope. And one of the things that I loved about that transition was that it really puts a spotlight on Obi-Wan because The Phantom Menace, we start his life, A New Hope, we end his life. And there's something like really great about kind of putting those two stories right next to each other. And I think that that is what Charlotte was talking about, how that works so well for Luke in this viewing order is that We go from the end of his life, not to the beginning of his life, but to the beginning of his story that were introduced to him. And I think there's something so beautiful about that. I don't know. It just, it works 
so well to see Luke at arguably his lowest in The Last Jedi and the biggest failure that he has really ever had, I would Mm. say, in his life and how he kind of comes to terms with that. And like you said, finding his peace and purpose. And then we move in to um, A New Hope when he's at the start of his journey. Everything is, is shiny and new. The biggest thing he does in that movie is blow up the Death Star. And that is like, I kind of underplayed that, but like, that's a huge thing. But everything that's coming for him in the future is so much bigger and also so much more personal too, because it deals with his family. And I don't know. I think that having, you know, old Luke and young Luke juxtaposed beside each other is such a really cool thing. And like, I a hundred percent would recommend even just doing the last Jedi to a new hope. I think it's really great, especially if you're a Luke fan, which I am. (laughs) I love Luke Skywalker. It's just a beautiful transition. And, you know, you see kind of that cynical Luke in the last Jedi and then, you know, he's he's just like this frustrated teenager and he has so much hope and and seeing him like be so doughy eyed around Leia and so um, like frustrated, but also wanting to be Han Solo. There's just something really endearing about it. And he seems so much more innocent in A New Hope after you come out of The Last Jedi, which is, of course, part of this character of Luke in A New Hope. But it really is just kind of magnified. And I thought it makes it makes A New Hope just like so fun too because you you've come out of these kind of like you were talking about with Han and Leia like these kind of sad moments with them and kind of realizing that that their lives look so much like very different than how I think many of us envisioned or would have even wanted for those characters yeah and so it's like come and and even with Sidious too like very high level of who these characters are to then segue into their introductions when they get to know each other it just I think it's a really fun transition yeah I really enjoyed it I love A yeah. New Hope. There's something nice about going from, like, the older version of the character to seeing the newer version of the character, too. Like, or the newer version versus the older version. And, yeah. like, the younger, the spryer, how Princess Leia came to be. Like, how is she the head of the Resistance now? Is the Resistance different than the Rebellion? Not really. But here she is. <laughs> you're thinking about Leia. You're thinking about how she fits into the story. And, wow, she's always been such a powerhouse. And no wonder she's the head of the Resistance. She's, like, thriving in the Rebellion and already has such a big role. And... All these characters that were introduced to in these two movies of the sequel trilogy, and now we're seeing them again in their younger form. It's interesting. It's also like fun to kind of reflect back about these tropes that come from the characters that are definitely at play with the sequel trilogy as well. The Hanish one, the Luke one, you know, all these type of things that are built into the characters of Rey, um, Finn, Poe, even Kylo. So I, I think that there's just really a huge benefit from going from the sequels to the original trilogy and then like going down even a step further and that's why we're calling this the basically the russian doll method because you're taking ray's view which we haven't really talked a lot about right i think that we are kind of like glossing over ray which i don't think is fair but in in this stance i would think that ray and she, I always thought this about Ray. I think Ray often represents the audience and we're experiencing everything through her eyes. We're learning new things through her eyes and everything. So in this, that's the same way with this order as well. We're discovering the myth through Ray. So like, okay, so now if Ray is the top Russian doll, right? Like what's inside? Okay, it's Luke. This is Luke's story. Then what's inside Luke's story? It's Anakin's story. So here we are like taking off a shell in, in these nesting dolls. Yeah. All right, are we ready to move on to part two? Yes, let's do it. 
Okay, so welcome to part two. We're going to be talking about Empire Strikes Back, The Phantom Menace, and Attack of the Clones. I'm really excited about this because let's just start it off with Empire Strikes Back. I really enjoyed all these transitions. So I think Empire was interesting because in The Last Jedi, like I mentioned, we hear the first mentions of Sidious, but we don't get that connection to Palpatine um, or have a face to the name at all. And this is the first time we do ever so briefly, like we understand that there's a superior to Darth Vader. And I think that that's like the experience of watching just the original trilogy anyway, which makes sense because when you have a sequel (laughs) and you don't kill your main villain, you have to make the threat somehow even worse. So you got rid of the main problem, which is the Death Star, right? But you didn't get rid of Darth Vader. So of course they're going to bring in someone who's even worse. So this is our first hint. We see Vader kneel in front of Sidious, which I think is already like, oh my gosh, Vader serves somebody. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought that. We're not necessarily making the connection just yet about whether or not this is Sidious, but here we have someone darker. So um, that's how it goes. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Like this is the first time now we're like four movies in and this is the first time we're hearing about Palpatine. We've talked about this before, but I think it does The Rise of Skywalker a disservice when you just watch the sequel trilogy. Like so many people did. Yeah. Just going into it, it's like, wait, who? Like you're a Palpatine? Like they don't even really say that name in the original trilogy. Yeah. I think that anyone who watches the original trilogy, when you watch Return of the Jedi, you're really cognizant of the fact that the Emperor is the one holding all the strings. Only in the prequel trilogy do you realize that those strings are even more complicated than you could even possibly imagine. But coming, like just watching the sequel trilogy, which is intended, like let's be real, I think that you should be able to watch a a trilogy in the movie theater without needing supplemental material. We talk about this a lot too. It's like a story should stand on its own. Yeah, there's a balance. There's a balance there, of course. Yeah, I just thought it was, this is the first time, it's just notable that just like in like the regular order, if you were going to watch the original trilogy first, this is the first time you're hearing about Palpatine. Yeah, I think this order really does kind of enhance Palpatine's story, honestly, to when we get to him and the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I think also because we were just paying more attention to him, knowing who he is. What's coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Empire Strikes Back was the first time. In my notes, I kind of drew this like little upside down, I don't know it's called, like a bell graph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, you know, starting, like we've been saying, like high level from The Force Awakens, kind of getting closer and closer to the bottom, which is when kind of the bottom falls out. Luke finds out who his father is. He's rocked by that truth. And then you dive into the prequel trilogy and you learn about all the stuff that happened there and like how crazy it was and you you're like kind of at the bottom of the graph and then you start your way up which of course you know it's not a perfect graph because like we have the fall of Anakin Skywalker but we eventually get to Return of the Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker where every truth is kind of unveiled and we have the redemption of our two characters uh, Anakin and Ben Solo so I think it was great. You have brought up this really great thing in Empire about Yoda hating Anakin. <laughs> this was so crazy. I don't think... I've watched Empire Strikes Back. It's my favorite original trilogy movie. Hundreds of times. We have a Star Wars podcast. Okay. I've never heard this line before. I don't remember this line about Yoda saying a bad Jedi he was. Something like that. I don't have it written down. I should have, but I don't. Um, but I was I was shook. I think I paused it. I was like, yeah. did he just say Anakin is a bad Jedi? Yeah. So it's just really interesting to think about that because now in this, we have never met Anakin Skywalker. We don't know anything about Anakin, okay? All we know is Vader. You look at Vader and you're like, yeah, he probably was a bad Jedi. He's a darksider. Now he looks like that. 
I don't know how that happened. Now it looks like that. Yeah. And it's like, (laughs) we don't know. In this order, we have no idea how that happened, right? Obi-Wan says he's a monster. Things like that. Okay? Yeah. It's just interesting, right, that Yoda would say he's a bad Jedi. And because of that, I carried this thought with me throughout the entire prequel trilogy. Yeah. Where I was like... Yoda literally thinks Anakin's a bad Jedi this entire time. So unsympathetic to Anakin. And it made me, you know, we we ebb and flow with our relationship with Yoda so much. I think Yoda is a great character because he's complicated. He has an interesting arc. His vision has been clouded. He's not perfect. He's not a perfect Jedi. Yet we think he's a perfect Jedi because he's Yoda. All these different things, right? Some of the things he says... I think are amazing, brilliant nuggets of wisdom, so quotable, very tattoo worthy, (laughs) you know, but I I often think about him saying, once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. I feel like that's untrue. I disagree with that statement. And I think it's okay to disagree with our characters that are like, they're not, they're infallible, right? They're not infallible. Yeah. Going from Empire Strikes Back to The Phantom Menace with the knowledge that Yoda thinks Anakin is a bad Jedi was funny because <laughs> the first time you see Anakin, which is this is George George's brilliant mind, right? Yeah. We all know this. He's like, no, Anakin. The first time you see Anakin Skywalker, he's going to be a nine year old boy. He's going to be tiny. He's going to be cute. He's going to be adorable. He loves his mom. He loves other people. He's willing to lay down on the line for these people he just met. He's so kind. He's giving his friends his new friends gifts. He couldn't be kinder. And yet the Jedi that Luke has to go meet to get his Jedi training thinks Anakin is a bad Jedi. And we're like, how is that even possible? This kid is the embodiment of what a good Jedi should be. Compassion is essential. And here he is, the most compassionate kid kid we've ever seen. And I thought that was really interesting because once we dive into, we go from Empire to the prequels, essentially, we see how imperfect the Jedi are, which... I think on the show we're pretty critical of the Jedi and their their kidnapping children situation. Yeah, that. <laughs> um, and their inability to see the galaxy falling. But I think, obviously, hello, the Jedi are the good guys. We are aware of that. But it's interesting yeah. how complicated they are and how they can be wrong about things. I mean, Yoda and Obi-Wan are also wrong about Luke needing to kill his father. That's a huge oversight in their plan. Just a small one. That Luke finds another way to bring him back to the good side, and in turn, his father saves him. Yeah. And I I think we have to remember that because not everything Yoda says, not everything Ben Kenobi says, is gospel good Jedi <laughs> words. So it just made the transition really interesting, going from Yoda explaining what the Jedi are, what the Force is, and things like that. And then diving into the prequels, which is a pretty clinical examination of the force as well. Yeah, I think that it, it's good because you have this very, right, like Yoda and Obi-Wan, the way that they talk about the force in A New Hope and Empire. It's so, you know, it's ethereal. It surrounds you. Yes. It finds us, penetrates us. It's beautiful. It's the beautiful. The way, way he says that. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you enter to go from that really. So A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back into The Phantom Menace when it is so clinical and by the numbers, it's a really stark transition. And of course, that's the point. Um, We've talked about that before. But yeah, like Charlotte pointing out this quote from Yoda of, of calling Anakin a bad Jedi, it really is something that kind of followed us through the rest of our viewing. Because you, you hear Yoda talking about Anakin, right? And then you go into the, the Phantom Menace. And the first thing, the first conversation that we see between Yoda and Anakin is, 
them, they're not arguing because Anakin is nine years old, but Yoda is like, you're too old. You have fear. I sense the dark side. You're like, the first thing Yoda is telling Anakin is you're not good enough to be here. Um, when like you were talking about Charlotte, all we've seen is Anakin be like a good kid. And like, literally he just wants to like not be a slave. (laughs) And, and Yoda is like, I don't think we should. And it's only because Qui-Gon died that the Jedi Council were kind of guilt tripped, I suppose. I don't even know what the right word is, but think like convince themselves that Anakin was the chosen one as justification for why he should come into the order. Um, And it's just, it was really enlightening, especially when you think about, you know, the next like one-on-one conversation they have is in Revenge of the Sith, right? Yeah. When Anakin is telling Yoda about his dream and Yoda is not really sympathetic (laughs) at all to it. And um, you, it all kind of goes back or forward, however you look at things, <laughs> to Yoda and Empire calling Anakin a bad Jedi. Um, it's rough. It is rough. Another thing that's interesting, just to the, the complicated aspect of going from Empire to the Phantom Menace that was interesting is like, yeah, I know everyone says this, okay? But you really open with a tax dispute, okay? And you go from the Empire versus the Rebellion to a tax dispute, which is more than a dispute. I think we all know that. It's internment camps. It's violence. It's repressing everything possible or suppressing everything possible in, in on Naboo in a horrible way. It, there's, like, so much politics in play. Like, even with the Gungans, like, all, all of that, like, the, the, the Nabooians or Nubians, however you say it, living on top of, basically, the Gungans and living in this hidden city. I mean, all of that is all there in the text and all needs to be examined but it's not really examined super well but it's really different than the empire strikes back and you're like what world was i just dropped into because things are majorly different and i need to settle into that because you have to understand that this world this this trilogy is vastly different from the original trilogy to understand how someone who was such a good kid like anakin could fall to the dark side Because there's all these different things in play, way more complicated than what is presented in the original trilogy, and honestly, even more complicated than in the sequel trilogy. So this is kind of similar almost to like what we've been talking about with Obi-Wan in the Skytalkers Machete Order, and now Luke with the transition from Last Jedi to A New Hope. And you get a little bit of it with Palpatine here, (laughs) from (laughs) Empire Strikes Back to The Phantom Menace. Of course, you know who Palpatine is. So seeing him like just kind of a glimpse of him really in empire like he's he's there but right we, we spend more time with like luke and vader to then the phantom menace where he you know is actively manipulating padme throughout this whole thing right um you really kind of see the strings being pulled and like you were talking about with just like the intense complication of the phantom menace it's like it's like palpatine is bearing the lead distraction of course of what he's really doing and if you just there are all these people and like create all these little conflicts and are like literally talking to them all behind each other's back behind their back you just like of course you're gonna get what you want he he's he's devious he's devious that was my word this is a different kind of deviousness that we've seen deception really that we've seen of palpatine in the separate from the other films something i thought was so funny (laughs) i tweeted about this and like honestly i think it's it was so funny So there's a scene where Queen Amidala and Palpatine are discussing what happens next after the vote of no confidence. And you can kind of tell that Padme is like, that was a rough thing that you just convinced me to do. And 
Palpatine comes in and he's like all jolly, all happy. Looks like a <laughs> like a nice little Irishman, right? Oh my god! <laughs> and he's like, "Can you believe it? They nominated me for a chancellor." He's like, "Who would have? Who would have thought? thought? I had so no kind. idea." And no joke. Thirty seconds later, he goes, "I will be chancellor." He he sits down on he the couch. Down. He's like, "I will, I will be, be chancellor. chancellor." And it's like, okay, <laughs> that is like the first for me. It was like the first glimpse of like, oh, okay. You're you're not just a senator here from Naboo. Like here, this is a power grab. I'm like, who did you manipulate to get nominated? For him to be like, I can't believe it. He's like covering his tracks somehow. What yeah. is happening there? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I thought that was so funny. And yeah, we, we were talking about it the rest of the. <laughs> like, I will be. Chancellor. I will be. We just chancellor. kept saying it back and forth. It was really funny. I think one of the other things that kind of grew from that scene too was thinking about Padme and this whole thing of the trilogy and kind of her role in it and if you guys remember in our clone wars discussion for spoilers for season seven of the clone wars uh you know maul tells ahsoka what is going on the visions that he's had what he believes to be true about anakin which is actually true about anakin and you know ahsoka calls him a liar and chooses not to believe him one of the things that we talked about at that time was like okay well how does ahsoka deal with that knowing that Vader becomes a reality, that that's true. Like, does she think about that? Does she believe Anakin dead? I think she does, right? Mm -hmm. But there's still, like, does that conversation with Maul ever play in the back of her mind of, like... Yeah, it has to. You know, right? Yeah, and especially once she does find out who Vader is, you know, how much guilt does she feel of, like, oh, my God, all those years ago, Maul was right, and I had the chance to do something, and I didn't. And so I, I, I kind of found myself thinking about Padme in the same light of like, if Padme had lived through the events of Revenge of the Sith, what would that have done to her knowing that the guy who manipulated her when she was 14 years old, um, who she more or less allowed to get voted into power, right? Again, she was manipulated, but it was her vote. How does how does that make her feel later on? And, you know, it, it was just kind of one of those things that you find yourself thinking about in, in a viewing like this, in an order like this. And um, I think we would – I think we know what yeah. she would think because in Revenge of the Sith, she has that great conversation with Anakin, which is far too short where she's like, do you yeah. ever think that we, we've been on the wrong side? Um, yeah. And Anakin, like, explodes. And I think that her thinking about that and her potentially, like – considering anything that like went wrong in her life to get her to this point i think that if she had lived past revenge of the sith she'd probably be in leia's position but like way sooner so like waging a a a campaign against whatever palpatine had done i mean even in revenge of the sith like she's like cognizant of like of like oh okay well in, in in deleted scenes with the delegation of 2000 but not even just that but even her recognizing that, like, Liberty is dying as Palpatine is rising and things like that. So I think we know h- how she'd be in in that way. Sometimes I subscribe to the theory of, like, Palpatine life-sucking her, her, her <laughs> entire, like, sucking the life out of her in some way because she's too great of a threat. But I do think that it's interesting to, like, watch. I think we all – everyone talks about how Anakin was absolutely manip- manipulated by Palpatine, but – I think it's also necessary to discuss, maybe on the same scale, um, that Padme was also manipulated. All these important votes, all these things that she she was anti-war, anti an army, and Palpatine basically forced her off the planet for this vote that she was working for for a year. 
all these things are in the narrative and I just honestly as a fandom I don't think we're talking about them enough <laughs> because I think they're it's they're really interesting and I know it gets a little complicated because everyone talks about how complicated the politics are if of the prequel trilogy and things like that but in my opinion I honestly don't think they're that complicated I think that it's just a dictatorship on the rise and people like Padme were extremely manipulated and was were trying to do the right thing but as I think that Star Wars proves that like you can continue, you try, you try, you try. Evil still rises, but you just have to keep continue continuing to try. Yeah, I agree. And I think it just would have been that much harder for her knowing that Palpatine becomes Sidious, who also took her husband. Yeah. Who took... Yeah, the- she'd be mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very mad. <laughs> so you could have already touched on Attack of the Clones. And to be honest... We watched Attack of the Clones very late at night on Saturday. Yeah, we did. But it was great. <laughs> it was I loved Attack A late of the Clones. night Attack of the Clones sesh. That <laughs> I think the only time to watch Attack of the Clones is, is after a couple glasses Press of wine and like past eleven PM. Yeah. <laughs> we were just like, guess we're finishing this. We we're gonna split yeah. it up. We we're like it's one AM. We're finishing an Attack of the Clones. It's yeah. happening. Yeah. I I just the beginning the beginning of The Force Awakens and the beginning of Attack of the Clones, my favorites. I just Yeah. I love it so much. And I just think one of I I we'll kinda of talk about this more with Revenge of the Sith, but I I just love the progression of colors as we go through um all of the films. And the beginning of uh, Attack of the Clones with the Zam Wessel chase, it really is just kind of an explosion of color of like dark neon color i just think it's really cool and um it's not something we'd really seen even with like the casino and the last jedi it doesn't really have that color palette of course you know the last jedi in general has like a very red and like black and white and gray kind of color palette overall i would say um and force awakens it's kind of like yellow tans yeah yeah exactly and the phantom menace is too and then you guys know what we're saying, but um, well, people talk about Attack of the Clones as like the autumn of Star Wars, and I think yeah. you're right that like the beginning is colorful. But I think we're like, as the movie goes on, we go into a more a sepia tone almost of things. Yeah. Like when we go to Geonosis, even even going from like colorful Naboo, it's like it's it gets less colorful from the scene of being at the dinner table to yeah the fireplace. It's we're getting into, you know, the, the like sunset. the sunset of it all and the sunset of the Republic, the sunset of justice, things like that as we head into the Clone Wars. And then in Revenge of the Sith, I think, I don't know, I feel like you can talk about that as like the winter of Star Wars, but when things are dead. And I think autumn is like things are dying by we get when we get to Revenge yeah. of the Sith, things are like kind of icy. I know that we're, we, we're at, we're in Mustafar, so like that doesn't really necessarily fit, but not all of this is just kind of like broad strokes of color palettes but yeah 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 there there is no green in the revenge of the sith (laughs) i think when i think about revenge of the sith though i think about it as like crisp i think that's a crisp movie in a different way than attack of the clones is and i know it's because it's like a newer movie digitally shot things like that but i think the color palette is more wintry than autumn yeah i think that attack of the clones has this kind of like nice um balance with the phantom menace and that you know the phantom menace we a big chunk of it is spent on Tatooine and that's like all of course like very beige and brown and yellows and stuff and then we have the whole second half of Attack of the Clones on Geonosis which is also very much in that manner too but yeah I think that kind of going on this joy ride through Coruscant is is really great what was funny is that Charlotte and I noticed how they developed Coruscant more and more through every viewing 
And the first time you see Coruscant, like from like the <laughs> from space in the Phantom Menace, it's really just like some kind of loosely drawn concentric circle. Yeah. <laughs> and as you move through from Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith, every time you see it from space, it, it becomes like a little bit more defined. Yeah. <laughs> we just kind of thought it was funny. They're like, oh. They found the city planner. Right. <laughs> it's <laughs> it just was... the, the planning of the art department, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was fun to watch. But I love Attack of the Clones. I think it's really fun. What's funny is that I asked you about this before, but with the Machete Order, Caitlin's favorite transition is yeah. Empire Strikes Back to Attack of, the, Attack of the Clones because you end in the clouds and then you start in the clouds. It's good. You don't get that here with this. You don't. You do miss it. it I do. It's a loss. It's, it's a, a loss. loss. If we're it's, being honest, it's, it's a, a loss. loss. It's a wash. It's a loss. Because this, with this trilogy, this is the only one that you watch it all together. And the yeah. thing is, is that I feel like the prequel trilogy works together as a, a trilogy, especially when you're treating it as a flashback like we are. Yeah. Um, And I think that's like in the original Machete Order, that's how they also treat it as a flashback. And they cut The Phantom Menace for some reason. We're anti that. Um, and <laughs> I think it, that's why in the Sky Doggers Machete, it's like starts the everything off in the beginning. But it's nice to watch it all together. It's like brings me back to the old days of watching Star Wars with you when we would go prequel, original trilogy, and those six movies. <laughs> simple. Yeah, simple. <laughs> simple. <laughs> so easy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Part three? Part three. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. All right, welcome to part three, where we are talking about all of the last movies of these trilogies. We have Revenge, we have Return, we had Ri- we have Rise. I know that was your favorite thing when the Rise of Skywalker title mm. was was came out. You were like, it, it just makes so much sense. It and does. It, honestly, it does. So this is all the threes. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it is. You know, it this is. is all yeah. the thirds in the trilogy. Yeah, I remember at our live show, we like us and the audience like all put that together we were everyone was like like, revenge return return, (gasps) i I remember that like it was yesterday the entire audience was like wow (laughs) (laughs) yeah so this is really when uh things get going and this was kind of the part that i think we were all wondering how like it would all shake out because you are just going like three six nine yeah and so it's not it's kind of like the most chopped up compared to the rest of the viewing order revenge of the sith is a great movie Mm -hmm. and i love it a lot Mm -hmm. i think um one of the things that i really felt when i was watching revenge of the sith was sadness yes correct (laughs) it was i did cry a lot in revenge of the sith this go around Um, this is these these three movies were like the most actually the last one wasn't that emotional for me but like no these these next two movies were like wow i yeah i can't remember the last time i've cried in in either revenge of the sith or return of the jedi me too uh, but I cried in both of them this yep, time. Yep. Um, anyway, kind of going back to the bigger picture of like the the Russian doll nesting order. One of the things that I think is really great because, you know, a lot of the criticism about the prequel trilogy is that it's stoic. It's wooden. It's confusing. There's just like a lot of walking and talking. Right. Like that's that's the criticism of it, which is valid. But George has always said that it's like very much like Star Wars is a space opera. And I think you don't, like, you feel that the most in Revenge of the Sith as a space opera of people walking and talking. But it's this really beautiful palette of 
of like the downfall of the sunset, these golden colors and, and even these like really rich jewel tones and stuff, even in the beginning in space and all of that. And then at the end, of course, with Mustafar. And it was really cool to kind of dive all the way down to Revenge of the Sith from the very beginning with The Force Awakens, because, you know, the sequel trilogy is, of course, the most modern filmmaking. It's something mm-hmm. that we're the most familiar with in our generation. The pacing of these movies is something that is very familiar to us. And then you get into the original trilogy, which has different pacing, but it is a lot more comedic, I would say, than the prequel trilogy. It it is snappier than the prequel trilogy too. And then, or yeah, of the prequel trilogy, but it is like slower paced, right? And then you finally like segue into the second trilogy, which is like so operatic, like it is a flashback, it is a story, like a myth on the wall that people are kind of telling through generations. And so it's like all the the language is kind of structured very simply, in a way, I feel like I'm not explaining it well. But I feel like I really was kind of opening up a storybook when I got to the second trilogy. And especially in Revenge of the Sith, I really felt that. And I did feel like I was watching an opera that you know, is Luke telling Leia, telling Rey, telling us. And like, we've all, it's been said a million times before. And like, we're just the next iteration to see the fall of the Republic and the fall of Anakin Skywalker. And I don't know, I I thought it was really cool. I've always kind of thought of it like, here I go, in Deathly Hallows. Wow. I know. The yeah, whole... Just just to, like I just want to like put some background. It's usually me <laughs> who gives the Harry Potter uh reference and Caitlin like rolls her eyes and we go for it. Here she is <laughs> going for the Harry Potter reference. Deathly Hollows. I don't know which part. But the with the brothers and when they do that whole like animated story oh, yeah. about the elder so wand. Yeah. Right? The Deathly like, Hollows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The Elder One, the Invincibility Cloak, and the Resurrection Stone. the actual Deathly Hallows. Got it. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I've always kind of felt like in an order like this, that Revenge of the Sith really always kind of reminds me of the role that that kind of animated flashback played in the Deathly Hallows. Right. Of, like, it is a myth. A cautionary tale. A cautionary. Yeah, exactly. A cautionary tale. And um, I think that the the way the visuals of Revenge of the Sith really kind of lend itself to that. And even just the fact that they are, like, walking and talking so much. It is like a stage. Like, the way that they move through the rooms is, like, they're going from one side to the other, from <laughs> stage right to stage left. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. And it felt, like, that much more beautiful kind of viewing it as this stage play this time. It's kind of how I kept envisioning it in my head. And I cried a lot more. So I think it did its job. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think that's something that George was so cognizant of, even to the point of including his Swan Lake bubble opera in it. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's not just we're witnessing characters on a, like the, all the world's a stage situation, but yeah. they're also when the biggest conversation, the most lengthy conversation that happens in in the sequel trilogy, in the sequel trilogy, in basically all of Star Wars, if I'm being honest, when Palpatine talks about Darth Plagueis and really puts the seed in Anakin's mind about this dark power to save people that from death, mm-hmm. um, is happening during a play, during yeah. a stage setting. We are witnessing the fall of the Republic, and we are here as audience members taking it in, sobbing, crying, but also seeing all the machinations at play and realizing how just how this happens. I was really struck when I was watching Revenge of the Sith this time, thinking about, I don't know, every time I watch this, especially as an adult now, 
I'm like, Anakin really had no choice until he has one choice, which is to kill Mace or to kill Palpatine. Yeah. And I, I and then he makes the the wrong choice. And I think that we we know until he's like mass or like maybe his entire life, he regrets that choice. Yeah. But in that moment, that's the choice he made. But so many different pieces of him in this movie, in particular Revenge of the Sith, he did not have the right choice. I think when Palpatine even pleads to him of don't be a pawn in the Jedi Council, Palpatine, number one, made him a pawn in the Jedi Council. Yeah. Okay. He placed him on the Jedi Council, humiliated him, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't his time to be a Jedi Master. You can disagree, agree, whatever. He probably should have been because he was, like, winning the war for everyone, right? Yeah. But he's a bad Jedi. But he's a bad Jedi, according to Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and Yoda doesn't really help him in this movie at all, either. So it goes back to him saying he's a bad Jedi, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's so many pieces where he just didn't have a choice. And then the, the Jedi Council then involve him in a plot to spy on the Chancer. And Anakin didn't want any of this. And he even says, like, he's like, why are you asking me of this? Like, yeah. why, why are you asking this of me to Obi-Wan? And so many times I just think, of, like, there's just so many points in this in Revenge of the Sith that are just so heartbreaking where we start off so joyful with this, like, companionship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And we just kind of descend further and further away from that. Like, that was a way distant memory when you're, like, an hour into the movie. You're like, did that even happen? Because now yeah. Anakin is being played, like a fiddle like a it's fiddle. In, yeah like it's insane and he he has no choice until like i said until he makes one choice yeah um and i i think maybe you can even say that he makes a choice to go to palpatine's office to the padme rumination scene yeah even though i think that we're more sympathetic to that choice versus him killing mace or removing his his hand i guess he didn't necessarily kill mace right like not technically palpatine did but he We're allowed that to words. happen because yeah. he, he basically aligned himself with yeah. Palpatine. Yeah. So I don't know. I felt like this movie also made me really excited for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I Particularly Revenge of the Sith because it was like all these possible, possibilities about like how complicated this relationship is. And it was just great. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. I think that it was great, too, because at this point, right, like in what's crazy about Star Wars, too, is that in the whole you know, order that we've come through so far, right? Like we're starting big picture and, and working down to um, the origin point of kind of this catalyst event. And none of them have mentioned Padme, mm-hmm. right? Like none of these stories that have been passed down talk about that Anakin did all of this for his love of his wife, yeah. right? And like we can talk for hours about the love versus obsession and like break that all down. But, you know, calling it love here because he did genuinely love Padme, right? And none of those stories... That story was never told. And so as we're getting like further, like we're unpacking these nesting dolls, we finally get to the center one where we find out the truth. And the truth is that Anakin was scared to lose the woman that he loved that pushed him over the edge. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that, again, is what's really cool about this order. And I don't know, just thinking about the Skywalker saga as a whole and kind of working our way down into like the belly of this story mm-hmm. is because of love. And then, you know, we're on the rise now. And so in Return of the Jedi, like the whole point of Machete Order, right, is that it really kind of builds your compassion for Anakin to understand Luke's decision in Return of the Jedi. Because when you look at the original trilogy on its own, it's like, okay, like I understand why Luke wants to save his father, but I don't, I don't have any compassion for his father, right? But when you kind of 
merge them, you get it. And like, that's what's part of why the Machete Order works so great is you end with Empire, Luke finding out this horrible thing about his father. And then you go into this extended flashback of, well, Anakin was like this manipulated, started his life as a slave, manipulated into the Jedi because he literally had no other choice of where to go. His mother gives him to the Jedi because that's the only way she sees a way out for him. It's the only option. It's either stay a slave or go to the Jedi. Yeah, be like, brave and don't look back. Yeah, like it's awful that she has to make that choice. He loses his mother. He loses the guy, the only guy who believes in him, who is mm-hmm. Qui-Gon Jinn. Obi-Wan is, of course, his mentor, becomes his brother, his father figure, all of that. But Obi-Wan had not said yes to Anakin joining the Jedi Order in The Phantom Menace, right? Yeah. Um, he had recommended against it with Qui-Gon Jinn. And, and then, you know... He has Palpatine, like everything happens in Revenge of the Sith. And it's like, oh my God, like, like you were saying, like he's never had a choice in his life. He's always been controlled by someone else. Yeah. Whether it's Watto, Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon. And I don't mean controlling, but like the Jedi Order and like that whole organization of always telling him you are, you're too fearful. You hold on too, too rash, much. Too, too pa- compassionate. Too yeah. loving. <laughs> too fast. Too quick-witted. Yeah. Too, like, all these things. Yeah. And, um, and then you're like, oh my God, like that's how he fell. And you understand and you have compassion for everything that he went through. And then you transition into Return of the Jedi and it's like, hurry up, Luke. <laughs> Go save him. Like, bring him back. Like, we know he's he's not too compassionate. Um, it was the Jedi Order who was mistaken in that. And um, and even Palpatine then manipulates that compassion. Yeah. It's just, it's like so much. I, I, I feel like this viewing order really solidified that like, as much as I love all of Star Wars... I really just hold like a special place in my heart for how well crafted the prequels are. It's a controversial opinion in some spaces, but honestly, I don't think it is anymore because it's it's just so well done. I get a full understanding every time that I watch it, just yeah. why I love these characters and how compassionate I am for and sympathetic towards their all of, them. All of their demises, right? Yeah. Like you were mentioning, you get like, okay, you see the downturn in Anakin and you're like, Luke, hurry up, redeem him. (laughs) You must talk to him because you're the only one who can. You're the only one who will. Yeah, I think that it it really echoes back to even Ray's own compassion for Ben, which is what we're even framing this as, right? Of like Luke, Ray being like, you and a Jedi who saved him. Yeah. Luke saved Vader. And for some reason, Ray knows that. So we're like, okay, so one and done like luke luke redeemed (laughs) redeemed anakin and anakin is back okay now it's like okay ray you know this like we have to give him a second chance when it comes to ben solo yeah and it's like after even seeing and not hearing about palpatine at all now seeing everything palpatine did opening up with the rise of skywalker with an understanding that palpatine has been every voice inside ben solo's head you're like there's no choice but he needs to get out of this yeah. Because this family has been manipulated from day one. Yeah. And I think that it's, it is really beneficial to watch these movies in this order because it's, it's like all the good stuff happens all of a sudden. Yeah. It's like, okay, the, the worst of it all with Revenge of the Sith. And it's like, okay, the redemption, the redemption. Okay. <laughs> and another one. <laughs> okay. And I mean, I think that it's just a, a little bit of a tangent here. This entire viewing, I just really fell in love again with Luke, Leia, and Han's relationship. The perfect trio, in my opinion. Um, And hot take, but we need more like a novel series of Luke, Han, and Leia's relationship after Return of the Jedi. Like a new canon. 
series because I really miss them. Anytime they're together, it's great. I had such a good time. I know Caitlin and I both did with Return of the Jedi, like seeing the twins together and then also like the Han. Han is just so good. It's just like, I think we we both had a really good time and we were like really, in, like we mentioned before, really invent, invested in Han and Leia's relationship that we need more. Yeah. We're, I think as a fandom, I think we're really just, desperate for that. It's so for sad. It's so sad, end. but I know that there were good moments. Yeah. And I think we've gotten some in some novels, but not enough. And we need more. I want more. I will say also just to finish, round out our Revenge of the Sith discussion is that uh, it broke me, broke me of hearing Obi-Wan like beg Yoda oh not God. to send him to kill Anakin. Yeah. And Yoda is like, nah, you gotta. And it was just... Oh, it was so hard because Obi-Wan is just standing there like, please, he's like, please don't. He's like, he's like my brother. I can't do it. And Yoda is like, he's like, figure it out. Like, you, and, know, you know where to look. Yeah, you know what, you know what to do. Yeah. And it was just, it was so hard. And then, of course, like, you then go into Return of the Jedi and Obi-Wan and Yoda are telling uh, Luke to kill Anakin. And it's like, it's so, it's so hard. It's so complicated. And it like you said, it just made me really excited for the Kenobi show and kind of how they're gonna work through all of that. And of course, like it's just one piece of Obi Wan's journey, but kind of how he comes to that place of like realizing that Anakin did in fact become Vader and is still alive, and reconciling with that he didn't kill him. Should he have killed him? Like all of that, and we'll be talking about that for the next couple of years. <laughs> you might say that Ben Kenobi. When 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 faced with Yoda being like, you have to find and kill Anakin. Yeah. No choice. That he knew what he had to do, but he didn't know. He, he didn't have the strength to do he it. He didn't have the strength to do yeah, it. Yeah. He didn't. Just like Ben, ben Solo. Solo. <laughs> yeah. Who did do it, though. <laughs> yeah. He did. And so did Obi-Wan. Yeah. Well, he thought he did. He, he kind of did. He, he thought he did. did. Well, well, it will be interesting to explore in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series if, is if he really did think that he killed Anakin there. Or yeah. if he was like, I couldn't bear myself like bear it. it to to actually do it to like yeah. stab him or something yeah i'm i'm really excited i wrote years ago a one shot <laughs> about obi-wan um thinking he had killed vader had killed anakin at padme's funeral like that was that was the setting it was really sad made myself sad <laughs> that was it <laughs> and and <laughs> um but yeah return of the jedi Perfect movie. I Perfect movie. Every I time I watch Return of the Jedi, Jedi, I'm like, ugh, this is so good. It makes me so happy, Return yeah. of the Jedi. Um, I will also say that it was interesting to see, you know, in the final Death Star battle between Luke, Palpatine, and Vader, right, that Luke hesitates to kill Palpatine, and Palpatine kind of calls him out on it. Um, and Rey doesn't really hesitate around Palpatine. Like, she's ready. It's only when Palpatine is like, I... <laughs> will possess your body afterwards that's when she hesitates yeah then she hesitates because ben is there and she knows he's there yeah that too and um yeah it's just a difference in their approach because as we've talked about ray doesn't have that same kind of dogmatic approach to the force of like dark side and light side and to like be fearful of the dark and she does does. she just goes for it she just goes for it yeah so like luke even says it yeah he went straight to the dark you You didn't even hesitate (laughs) <laughs> you didn't even hesitate. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean that's. I think that's one of the things that I really love about Ray, honestly. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to mention in regards to Return of the Jedi, and honestly, all the movies is 
I was thinking a lot about the theme of nature versus technology throughout all of these films. And I know we all know that this is a huge piece of Star Wars. Usually nature triumphs over new tech and even nature, not necessarily. Like I, I know we're, we live in a sci-fi world with Star Wars, right? With like space age, like cool stuff. Yeah. But it still always comes down to the natural versus the like immaterial mm-hmm. um, and who will prevail and it will always be the natural. And I think this even like goes back to like when we talk about like the the midi-chlorians of it all like discussing the um like you use the word dogmatic like the dogmatic view of the force like for me it's like always that natural view of the force the force surrounds us it is everywhere versus it's in your blood we can count what it is um will triumph like for me that's just always how it's going to be and star wars really leans into this so much and i think that it's really prevalent in return of the jedi with the ewoks versus the empire and things like that but it's really honestly it's really present in every single movie even if you want to get like clinical versus when you talk about the the even the clone army versus the the separatist droid droid army and i think that even with the clone wars we get way more the the exploration of the humanity of the clones versus like the droids and i know we've talked about on the show a lot about like droids rights and things but on the surface that is the trope that is being presented yeah and it it was never more clear to me in this viewing um, that 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 theme is ever present throughout Star Wars, and um, I enjoyed it. And I think that it's mentioned here because, like I mentioned in Return of the Jedi, it's the most prevalent. Yeah. And even speaking upon that, I thought I think that's something that Caitlin and I have always really liked the the sunken Death Star in the Rise of Skywalker. It's beautiful. It's a great set piece. I think everyone who worked on it was like obsessed with it, which I yeah. totally get. And even still, like that is another representation of like nature taking over an old piece of technology right it's like yeah the these huge waves have like submerged this death star this old death star and that's another thing that's so good about coming from return of the jedi into the rise of skywalker is that's the death star that you just watched fall yeah so versus like there's some confusion i think in the rise of skywalker doesn't necessarily like address that this was the second death star i think ray says like it's it's a terrible place from like an old war. Yeah, she doesn't say it's the second Death Star, it's, and we're on the, the moon of like we're Return on Endor. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, she doesn't say that. Of course, she doesn't. But <laughs> it's interesting because you can draw like a, a straight line from these two things, and it's beneficial because you just ended in the throne room where uh, you know Darth Vader and Luke and the Emperor all fight, and here Rey is discovering that after learning her own lineage. And relationship to Palpatine and things like that, and we've talked about our feelings about that. I don't. I honestly don't think we need to draw, like, dwell on them. I don't think it's healthy for us, but it did help for me. Charlotte found the connection. I found the connection, and that was it. There are things that worked. That really worked for me. I think the double redemption really works for me. This is a controversial one. I don't think Caitlin agrees, but I'm just going to say it. I think (laughs) when in Return of the Jedi, when Luke is explaining to Leia that she has that power too. I think that's a theme that was even introduced in like one of the early trailers of The Force Awakens, right? Yeah. This idea of like family having the Force power, I think that's always been part of the sequel trilogy. Yeah. And I think that when you say, Luke says like in time you'll learn to use it too. And so when we have the flashback that I just don't think is really like well presented because the scene itself is really confusing. 
but it makes sense why Leia would explore that because Luke told her that like you can you can explore it if you want like <laughs> we'll figure it out I, I think that a lot of people disagree with how Leia's story like took that turn and I understand that and in a lot of ways I agree with it but for me here I'm like yeah that makes sense like right after Return of the Jedi she'd probably be like okay yeah show me the force like let's try this out um but I do think it's presented very confusingly in the yeah. Rise of Skywalker I'm still not really sure what happened there but it worked for me because we go from like this age to this age when the flashback it's like right yeah. next to each other yeah yeah I think the concept of Leia even just like exploring the idea of being a Jedi is like makes sense yeah or even just like let me pick up a lightsaber yeah of let course me, like yeah. wouldn't you do that yeah 100% also her lightsaber is Ugh, beautiful so good um but yeah the, the flashback itself is confusing but yeah I think that Going from the Death Star in Return of the Jedi to the Death Star again in Revenge of the uh, in the Rise of Skywalker, both the sites of these um, redemptions of these choices from Vader and from Kylo, I think is really nice. And putting them side by side again like that, it it works really well. Um, yeah, I feel like I've said my piece on Tross. Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of weird to have such. Like we said, I feel like this is the most emotional I've been in the Skywalker saga in a viewing like this, in a marathon like this. And then to come to Tross and just kind of not feel too much of anything mm-hmm. was, was really interesting. But I'm glad I watched it again. I probably won't for a long time, but it does. I've made my peace with the movie, I think. And that's kind of all I need to say. I think I feel like. The things that bother me about it still bother me. You know, like, I I still don't really know who Ray is in that movie or recognize her, really. And that, I think, will just always be disappointing, even in the larger scheme of her her narrative and, like, her lineage. But overall, I'm glad that we watched it. I still love Ray and Kylo and Finn and Rose and Poe. I love those characters so much. I do. Um, And, yeah, like, like we were saying, like, Having the last Jedi far away, be five movies separated <laughs> from the Rise of Skywalker—that's <laughs> the only way you can watch it. I think yeah. personally, um, because it's a harsh transition if you don't do it that way. I think. Um, I have to say, like in what when we think about like the ethos of why we're doing this order. So again, let's go back to the Russian doll, yeah, like, uh, methodology. So we start with Ray, we take off that that cap and below it is we're exploring luke's story and then then we explore anakin's story and then we, we put it all to back together back. yeah and here we are with ray at the end and disagree with it or not she does at the end embody the skywalker myth so she is putting all those pieces together they all yeah. live in and, and even her being like the jedi i'm all the jedi they all live in me it's, it even goes with the russian doll myth mythos of it all it does. And I mean, again, disagree with it, if you will, but it was an interesting way to watch it because yeah. it does embody the Skywalker mythos. We yeah. we went on this journey with them. We see how tortured they are only to come out in this bittersweet way in the end um, while we have these like beautiful highs also yeah, on the side throughout, of it. Yeah, throughout the yeah. entire saga. And it really does like emphasize that, yes, this is a space opera. These yeah. are the we have the high highs, we have the low lows, and then we end somewhere. We have in the all middle. the politics in between. We have all the politics in between <laughs> that kind of uh, you know pepper the story with how just how absolutely complicated this all can be. 
but yeah. also so simple in the good versus the bad. I don't know. I really enjoyed this order and I I fully recommend it. Yeah. Again, like Caitlin said, I don't know if we would recommend this for a first time viewer just because there's like I think that another thing that happened to us when Caitlin and I were watching this is like we come into all of these Star Wars movies like really loaded with like a lot of like fandom history all the conversations we've ever had like all these things that that come <laughs> yeah. in, that come into it as being a Star Wars fan and it's like revisiting these movies you're always you're bringing all these different I don't know if this even makes sense but you're bringing all these different emotions to all these different scenes and that's that comes with like that's one of the reasons why it's so important to us to like mix up these viewing orders because you you come into these scenes in a different way than like are presented in your head and yeah. another thing is like I think it's so interesting that Caitlin and I have a Star Wars podcast and I know this is true for other Star Wars podcasters okay the the infrequency in which we watch in marathon Star Wars movies yeah. is always surprising and I I think that we should be watching Star Wars more but it's always great to return to it in its full piece especially because George always talks about these things as a full piece right yeah so and and that was like a big part of why we like to do like big marathons where we'd have junk food and like popcorn and pizza, <laughs> all these things. Like we'd watch it in one fell swoop because that's what George said to do. Yeah, like, and we were like, got it. We got it. Okay, got it. Great. All right. We're on it, George. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Well, when we were when we were really young, yeah, in middle school, I think we'd we'd watch through all the credits too. That was part of the marathon. And at the end of it, we would call THX. Yeah, because there's a phone number. They would number. put a number at the end, and we would call them and leave our review of the movie. It was um, so stupid, and but it was great. Somewhere, I on- feel so bad for whoever had to empty out that. Do you remember Caitlin when we were like 18? We were doing our, we were watching <laughs> it, and we were we did the call like we were too old to do this. Um, we called, and like the voice message was full. Yeah, was, they we were, were like, like oh, they no. probably blocked our number. Yeah, they probably did. <laughs> yeah, I I love this order. I think. I'm really obsessed with it. I think it works really well. Um, I recommend it. I mean, even some of these like kind of smaller transitions are definitely worth trying. Like Last Jedi to A New Hope, like Empire to Phantom Menace, like Revenge of the Sith to Return of the Jedi, and then, you know, to Tross too. Like I think they're really interesting and cool to watch. Um, And of course, doing it all together, I think is really great. And it really, you know, it just, it brings a new perspective of the entire Skywalker saga and I think in a way like really does elevate it to that mythical status like in universe Mm -hmm. too I really love it I it was great to just be able to marathon it with you again to eat the flavor blasted goldfish the flavor blasted goldfish basically the entire large carton of flavor blasted (laughs) goldfish (laughs) so much goldfish was eaten (laughs) so it was really fun yeah it was awesome yeah I think is there anything well I just wanted to say a little bit about how that I think when we marathon movies, we don't watch the anthology films. Yeah. And we will continue to not watch the anthology <laughs> films because I, 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 that sounds harsh and I don't mean <laughs> you it. Were just like, and we will continue to watch I love not the anthology films, them. but I, I think that you could do your own order with them and maybe someday yeah. we will. Like, w- people always love to talk about the Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, A New Hope order. I've done that yeah. before. It's great. It's great. And it, just Rogue One to A New Hope, it's a, a perfect transition, amazing. But it doesn't have a lot of bearing to me on the uh, mythology of the Skywalker family and I think that there could be a time in the future like say there's like a solo two or like a further exploration into like Ben Solo or something like there's a there's another way to incorporate it but at this point like as it stands we get this question all the time even with this guy talking about machete so I just wanted to put it out there yeah that like 
this is the Skywalker saga. And especially because that's how Lucasfilm is labeling things now. Yeah. Is that after The Rise of Skywalker, it was like, okay, this is the Skywalker saga. We're capping it off. I think we all know that there'll probably be more movies later down the line. <laughs> but right now they're saying that they're not. So, okay, so we have these nine films. How are we going to watch these? How are we going to go about it? And how did these other pieces, like television shows, movies from television shows, anthology films, how do they enrich the story over, overall? Or how are they their own separate thing that enforces Star Wars themes? Because it all kind of comes back to the same place of hope. So, yeah. It's it's great, and I think that we're now like rolling in so much Star Wars content that we can make we can mix and match all these different types of orders. But for right now, this was our like way to view in a new lens the Skywalker saga, and we really enjoyed it, and we highly recommend it. If you watch it this way, please let us know. Send please. us an email. Please tweet us, Instagram message us. Hello anything. at skytalkers.com. That's our email. That's our email. Hello at skytalkers.com. So if you do that, I, I mean, we want to hear what you think. I hope yeah. you enjoy. I mean, there's, again, Star Wars yeah. is so good. But like any order that you watch it. It's a good order. It's a good order. Yeah. So. Is, and do you, if you have like a weird order that you like to watch it in. Please let us tell know. us that too. Yeah, please. Because I think, yeah. as you've heard, we're always looking forward to new ways to view it. Yeah. And yeah. So please tell us. So. I think that's going to wrap it up. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We, of course, had a lot of fun in a marathon like we haven't done for a number of years. So it was really great to be able to do that. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And if you want to follow us online to let us know about the viewing order you love the best, you can find us at Skytalkers Pod on Twitter or on our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our Instagram, website, Facebook, and we uh, TikTok. We've started posting some TikToks. Caitlin and I got really into testing green and blue milk. milk. Check it out if you Check, haven't. Yeah, TikTok. It's just Skytalkers on TikTok. At Skytalkers. Someday we'll have a consistency all across all social media channels in which we will be at Skytalkers. But right now, it's, it's some variation of Skytalkers, Skytalkers Sky Pod, or Podcast. Yeah, exactly. And that's <laughs> unfortunately, that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it is. <laughs> but uh, please check out our TikTok because we've had a lot of fun kind of experimenting with it, especially since, like we've said, we've been together the past couple of weeks. But yeah, you can find us on all those places. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would so appreciate it if you took the time. We got the loveliest review earlier this week, late last week. And it just, it totally made our day. We were reading it over More lunch, than our day. And we were like, oh my, it just, it really made us happy. Um, and it really just put like a bright filter over our entire day that day. So yeah. thank you to those of you who have reviewed us. It really does mean so much to us. And if you are looking for other ways to support the show, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. Yes. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Rachel, Chris, Emily, Ewan, Levi, Sarah, Colton, Christina, Ashley, Britt, Catherine, Anders, Aaron, Patricia, Alex, Molly, Sarah, Stephanie, and Anton. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.